Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. Westside's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy and thanks for tuning in. Good morning. If I haven't, again, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Daniel Lanning, and I am the interim pastor here, because like Gianna said, we are going through a pastoral transition uh, right now, where the district is looking for a new senior leader for this church, and I've been talking to the district about it most every week, and the process is still ongoing. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to talk with me, I, um, I'm mostly called to work at Springfield Faith Center over uh, a couple of miles away. I'm the associate pastor there. And, but I'm happy to, to kind of split my time out and help however I can and to be here this morning with you guys. Uh, if you're paying attention, I referenced this before, but I'll say it again. I do have the same name as the new coach at Oregon, and I am not associated with uh, the loss at Georgia. So, um, <laughs> don't, don't, yeah, that was a good game yesterday, right? Yay, something to be excited about. I don't know that it really counts, but... Um, <laughs> You know, it definitely counts. It has to, right? So hopefully, hopefully that's, the start of, that's the start of something better. I would like to meet the guy, maybe just give him a hug and tell him it's okay. But, um, you know, we'll see. One day. No relation that I know of. Um, anyway, so for those of you who are curious. But again, welcome this morning. You guys just finished a series in the Gospel of Mark, didn't you? Yeah, that for uh, a season of time, the church has been looking at the Gospel of Mark, a variety of stories from the life of Jesus, and now we're going to be uh, taking a little bit of a break. There's going to be another season starting, another, sorry, series starting probably in the month of October, but for the next couple of weeks, we're just going to be breathing a little bit and kind of taking a break. But I wanted to, this morning, I wanted to dovetail with the end of Mark and kind of look at, from the perspective of the disciples, what happens next for them. Because sometimes it's easy to finish the story of Jesus and to look at the really dramatic events of his death and his resurrection and the things that happened in that moment. And obviously, I mean, so much of the grounding of our faith as believers comes from those events, right? Those are really, really pivotal moments, and we should take time to watch those things and stare, and stare at those things and, and draw from them and be inspired by them. But I think there are a lot of really important questions that come after that, too, because the disciples in the aftermath of that have to navigate some really really important things. And I want to take a look at that season of time as well. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, we are going to be in Acts chapter 2, but we are going to be in the latter half of the chapter. We're going to be in verses 37 through 47, if you've got your Bibles. Acts 2, 37 through 47. But let's go ahead and pray together before we get started in the Word this morning, okay? God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to be here with these people, with this body of believers in this church. And I just pray that your grace would be here that your presence would be here, your spirit would be here. Speak to us this morning, God. Encourage us. Draw us together as believers in you, followers of you. Remind us that we are part of a big family. We are just one expression of it here in this space. And God, breathe in us this morning. Help us to experience life the way that you designed it for us, life the way that you intended it for us. Draw us close to your heart and let us experience the things that you have for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 
before I forget, before we continue, there's something that happened this morning that I don't want to gloss over. I want to highlight it a little bit. Gianna didn't say anything. She undersold this. But worship this morning was, I really enjoyed it, but it was also sort of like a last-minute emergency worship session. I don't know if anybody knows, anybody knows that, but the normal uh, worship pastor, Dan, is ill this weekend. And so Gianna and I got a text message at about 6.30 this morning with him saying, I hate, I hate doing this, but I have to, you know, for the sake of like, because he didn't want to come get sick on anybody, which I think is perfectly reasonable, okay? Um, so he had to bow out, so it left Gianna scrambling, trying to figure things out. And Marcus did a great job this morning, kind of leading things. But, and I'm totally embarrassing them right now, and I absolutely don't care. You guys can deal with it, okay? <laughs> But Marcus didn't find out that he was leading, leading until he got here this morning. So um, they did a fantastic job, and that's just, I, I love this season of time and kind of the grace that the church has right now uh, and the way that you guys entered into worship this morning. Just thank you for being flexible. Thank you guys for being flexible this morning because church still, like the presence of God is still here, right? Even if things don't go the way that we plan, even if things don't go the way that we expect, the Spirit of God is still here, and God is still moving and doing something powerful in our midst. Amen. Amen. And that's kind of the message that happens for the disciples as they move forward in this season, as we look at the events of Acts chapter 2. So I want to recap a little bit, right? Because for the last three years of their lives, they've been walking around with this man, Jesus, this person that they believed was going to be the Messiah, that they are just now really finding out to the full degree that this was the Son of God, the physical manifestation of God himself walking with them, three years living with him. And we're told that there are 12 primary disciples, but by the time we get to the early chapters of Acts, we also get a larger look. There's a group of about 120 people who are the followers of Jesus at this time, who have been you know, traveling around with him, spending time with him, because that's about the size of the group of people that we see here in the early chapters. They've been with Jesus for three years, and now in just the last eight weeks, okay, less than two months for them, they've had the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, they've had Jesus' death, they've watched him come back to life, they've seen and witnessed his resurrection, they've talked with him in his resurrected form, they've eaten with him, they've been encouraged by him, and then finally, they watched him float up into heaven in the clouds and ascend to be back with the Father and, and sort of leave them again. And all of this without doing the things that they expected him to do, okay? I don't know if you're aware of this, but at the time, there was a really, really strong conception of who this Messiah person was going to be and what they were going to do. And the expectation was the Messiah was going to come, he was going to destroy the Romans, and he was going to set Israel free. And Jesus didn't do those things, at least not in their understanding, not the way that they saw. Instead, they got a Messiah who was going to come destroy sin and death and set the whole world free. And now they're in a season, they're in a moment where the gravity of that is really settling in for them. And they're starting to get a perspective on that. They're starting to see that. But they are also deeply confused and deeply lost and leaderless in this moment. Sound at all familiar to you guys today? Okay? And the disciples in this moment are doing the best that they can, but they feel like they're floundering a little bit. And Jesus' final instructions to them, he basically says, go back into the city of Jerusalem and wait. And wait. I have promised that the Holy Spirit of God, the fullness of God's person and his presence, is going to come and he's going to live with you. And when that happens, he's going to start something new, but you need to wait until that happens. And so the disciples go back to Jerusalem and they wait and they hide. 
Because at this point, okay, the, the religious authorities in the area still think that they're criminals. They are still accusing the disciples of being grave robbers at this point, of having broken into the tomb and stolen Jesus' body because the religious authorities can't publicly admit that Jesus might have come back to life, right? That would, be, that would undermine their credibility. And so they have to paint the disciples as the bad guys at, as this, at this point. And so the disciples are in hiding from the religious authorities, but they're also trying to wait for this promise from Jesus, and they're also trying to deal with with their own sort of confused lostness. And there's a lot going on for them in this moment, in these first couple of chapters here. And so we start look, looking at what they do as they begin wrestling with that what comes next question. And so often when we talk about Acts chapter 2, we focus on the early verses, and for good reason. Acts chapter 2, if you've never read it before, it's a pretty dramatic chapter. Okay, because we get the fulfillment of that promise that Jesus gave to them where he said the Holy Spirit of God is going to come. The fullness of God's presence, his power is going to come live in you and he's going to start something new. And we see the fulfillment of that, uh, of that promise and it's a little bit bananas. Okay, because they're in the upper room, they're praying with each other, they hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and then all of a sudden they see what seem to be tongues of fire, like candle flames that float above their heads. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that is way outside of like a normal Tuesday for me. Okay, I've never seen anything even remotely, I've seen some cool stuff in my life, but I've never seen anything quite like that happen before. And then they all start speaking in different languages, languages that they've never learned how to speak, and they just start speaking in languages, and they go rushing out into the streets of Jerusalem. And at this time, we're told in the story, this moment happens during a Jewish festival called the Feast of Weeks, okay? It was one of the festivals that God built into the fabric of Jewish society. This is one of the things I love about God. God clearly loves food, and he loves to eat, which I think is worth celebrating and praising him for, because so many of the Jewish festivals that are built into the law and the structure of their nation are built around food, okay? I think it's a good idea, all right? I like, I like that. And the Feast of Weeks is one of those, okay, where there are tons and tons and tons of people in Jerusalem. It was one of the festivals where Jews from all over the world would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. And so there are Jews who are born and raised. They are, they are Jewish by heritage, but not, they did not grow up in Israel. Okay, they are, Jew they are Jewish by heritage and family, but they've grown up in all sorts of other countries. And there's a whole list that gets rattled off there in the early verses of Acts chapter 2. And it, we're told that the disciples go out into the streets, and the languages that they are speaking now are all of the native languages of these Jews who have come to the city of Jerusalem. And they are hearing the disciples preach the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ in their own native language in this moment. And it's a wild, wild moment. And it's such a cool and incredible thing. And I think for good reason, we tend to focus on the early portion of this story. It's referred to as the day of Pentecost. Okay, Pentecost meaning 50, because it happens 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And, and for us now in the modern era, it's, a, it's an important moment because the whole Pentecostal Christian movement of which we are a part is really framed on the events here. And the, the belief that this promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit like this is still available today, Amen. Okay, and something that we can still experience today. But that doesn't really solve for the disciples the question of what do we do next? Where do we go from here? In fact, in some ways, it actually makes it a little bit worse because now they're having this huge summer camp experience all of a sudden in this moment, and it doesn't, they still have to figure out where do we go next. So let's start reading Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37. It says this. 
Now, when they heard this, talking about the crowd, because Peter, Peter stands up and preaches a message, and in a, maybe the most dramatic turn of events in the whole story, he doesn't screw it up, okay? He makes, he makes perfect sense. It's this eloquent, beautiful, it's like the first time in all of the gospel stories that we've seen him not put his foot in his mouth, right? God is really doing something powerful in this man's life. And there are a lot of people being touched by this. So in 37, it says, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Just a quick note here, if you've ever found yourself looking at the world around you and saying, gosh, what's happening to this world? Everything feels like it's falling apart. You're not the first person to say that, okay? (laughs) People have been saying that for at least the last 2,000 years because here's Peter saying exactly the same thing, all right? So you're not alone in that. And then in verse 41, it ends this section by saying, so then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls, Okay, And that, that moment gets focused on a lot in the telling of this story because the church in just a few hours goes from 120 people to 3,120 people. In this. And that's worth like getting excited about. But again, it does not solve their problem right now. Like I said, in many ways, it makes it much, much worse. Because now instead of 120 confused people, you've got 3,120 leaderless, confused, lost people who are excited about what God is doing, okay, but they still haven't answered the question of where do we go from here? What do we do? What comes next for us? And so then we continue, and this is where we see the narrator telling us this story shift a little bit. And verse 42 really becomes the pivotal verse for this whole section. And verse 42 is what I want to focus on this morning. It's what I want to talk about and sort of return to a number of times. But verse 42 says this. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And this verse right here shows us four things that at that time the early church is making their focus. And I think this is critical for a lot of reasons, and we'll talk about those this morning. But the four things we see here, they're devoted to the healthy teaching of the apostles, they're devoted to fellowship, they're devoted to the breaking of bread, and they are devoted to prayer. It says they're devoted to the apostles' teaching, and and if that word is unfamiliar to you, the word apostle just comes from a Greek word that means one who is sent out. And over the course of church tradition and church history, there's been a lot of argument over what constitutes an apostle, like turning it into a title and an office, and like who deserves to be called an apostle. And my interest this morning is not in having that conversation necessarily, because there are varied and wild opinions, okay? But critically, what's being identified here this morning, them being apostles is not the critical thing. What's being held up here is that the church at that point has a source of healthy teaching from God through the Holy Spirit. They've got people who are, who are hearing from God and sharing with the church what they are hearing. They have a source of healthy teaching. It just so happens to come through the initial 12 disciples at first at this stage. It's going to grow beyond that. They're going to get other healthy teachers throughout the course of the book of Acts who aren't necessarily part of the apostles. But for right now, that's what they have. That's what they're looking at. That they have these people who are hearing from God and who, out of hearing from God, are trying to guide the church well and teach well and give something healthy to the people at this time. 
The second thing, we're told that they're devoted to fellowship. And fellowship describes the habit of meeting together, relating with one another, knowing, with one, knowing one another. And again, the Greek word that gets translated here is actually one that's very trendy and popular in modern American church. It's the Greek word koinonia. Some of you may have heard it before. But it's a word that describes fellowship or communi uh, community, and especially the kind of fellowship that is based around shared interests and sharing things with one another, but also about like participating in each other's lives. This very like connected sense of community and fellowship. So when it talks about that's here, and we're going to see it worked out in the verses after this, like they're spending time in each other's homes. They're spending time with each other. They are being with one another and in their lives. And I love that word, and I love, like, see, it, it, sometimes it's a hard, a hard idea to define, like, what does healthy community look like? What does healthy fellowship look like? And for me, because I'm a parent, right, I've got three little kids, okay, one of the things for me that has always just, like, screamed, like, that's a picture of the kingdom to me, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this before, but when I see families, especially younger families who've got kids, um, and they've known each other for a long time. They've been friends for a long time, and the families are really close. Have you ever had a moment where it's hard to tell which kids belong to which family? <laughs> and, and you can't, you, you're not sure. There's like nine kids, and there's six parents, and you're like, I don't know who goes with who here. It all just seems to be like, and there's kids like holding hands with people that don't belong to them or being carried by people that don't belong to them or whatever. And it's just this picture where the kids feel safe, and the kids feel taken care of, and the kids know that they belong and it doesn't matter whose hand they hold because they're all part of this sense of connected community. When I see moments like that, to me, that just like stirs something in me and I go, you know what? I want like my experience of church and the family of God and the church of God to echo some of that. Some of that sense of safety, some of that sense of care, some of that sense of belonging. And in this space, I want our fellowship to feel that way. And that's part of what we see here in the early church. The third thing we're told is that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. And again, this is a phrase that just means sharing meals together. And I will reiterate how excited I am that we believe in a God who likes food. Amen? Okay? Because there is something powerful about sharing a meal with other people, right? There's something, there's an intimacy, there's a care, there's a familiarity that comes when you were, a vulnerability that comes when you were sitting down eating with the people around you. And there's, a, there's an aspect of sharing and of being in each other's space and being in each other's lives that you really can't get any other way except by sharing food together and being in each other's space. And like I said, it's no accident that so much of the structure of Jewish life, religious life, but public life as well at this time, is really framed around food. You know, we've even just seen a powerful example of that because historically for the Jews, the celebration, they have a holiday called Passover, which is a memorial of when God led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And it was a meal that he commanded them to eat every single year as a way of remembering what he had done for them. And Passover is the meal that Jesus shares with his disciples the night before he goes to die. That Passover meal is the one that he shares with them, the bread that he breaks, the wine that he shares. And then he takes those things, he takes the element of Passover meal and he invests them with new meaning. And he says, do this in remembrance of what I am about to do for you and of the new covenant that I'm gonna give you. And it becomes the foundation of what we now practice as communion or the Eucharist in church where we have the grape juice and we have the bread, right? Where we share a little bit of a meal together congregationally. It's this echo of what Jesus did with his disciples, of what the early church does here but of this idea that sometimes the life of the kingdom is best experienced in food. 
and in sharing food with each other and in sharing those spaces and times with each other. And that's what we see for the early church here, that they are dedicating and devoting themselves to doing that. The final thing that we're told they're devoted to is being devoted to prayer. It's the final thing that we're given. And it's, to me, it's, it's interesting, but also a little bit surprising, the picture of prayer that we're given at this point. It makes sense on one level, right? Because these are Jewish people. They believe in Jesus, and they're sort of developing this new understanding of God, but they're still coming out of a Jewish tradition and a history. And prayer played a major role for them, okay, as part of the fabric of their lives. It was expected and, and healthy that they would go to prayer a number of times every single day, that they would take this time to talk to God, to relate to him, to connect to him. And we're told that in the verses after this, the disciples continue their regular practices. They keep on going to the temple in Jerusalem to pray there, to experience the presence of God. But at the same time, that's what surprises me a little bit. Because these are people who are still being hunted by the religious authorities of the day, right? They are still sort of like wanted criminals at this moment. And they're just like, ah, you know what, it's okay. We're going to go to the temple and pray anyway. We're going to keep on going and keep on being connected to God. And the other reason that it surprises me is because I'm reminded who was responsible for an almost constantly antagonistic relationship with Jesus? The religious leaders of the temple, right? Who was responsible for having Jesus arrested and sent to the local Roman authorities as a criminal? The religious leaders of the temple. Who was, in large part, responsible for Jesus' death? The religious leaders of the temple. That's part of Peter's sermon that he just preached. Okay, And yet here they are, still connected to the life of the temple, still connected to the religious fabric of the world around them. Still, These are people who have every reason to run the other direction, to go find a new place to experience God, to separate themselves from what has... They put some boundaries in place between themselves and the religious leaders. Okay, We see that in the chapters after this. But they are still connected to the public life of worship of the church at that time, to a life of public prayer, to a life of staying connected to God when they have every reason to sort of abandon that and let go of that. And I think that's really beautiful and important. And then we look at the rest of the chapter. And what we see in the verses that follow this is sort of like a reiteration and, and the fruit that grows out of these four focuses in the lives of the early church. So let's keep reading this morning, starting in Acts 2, verse 43. It says this, Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to take a look at those verses and what we're told there in that section because there are some really cool things here. We're told that there were many wonders and signs, okay? God was doing miracles. And in the chapters after this, we're going to see a couple of examples. You know, Peter and John went to pray, that little kid's song, right? That's coming up after this. But God is doing miraculous things. People are being healed. The Holy Spirit is moving. And, and I'm struck as I read that section this morning and I'm reminded this is demonstrated as the fruit. It's what grows out of their focus in this section. I don't know about you, but in my experience in the church, sometimes we have a terrible habit of getting this backward. 
okay, of seeing the miraculous things that God does and trying to make those the focus instead of what we're shown here in verse 42. Like somehow the point of doing church is to manufacture miracles or signs or wonders. Those are beautiful, wonderful things, but they are the fruit that grows out of a healthy connection to God. Amen? There's a reason that we're given this sort of agricultural picture of plants and of fruit, right? I'm no botanist. I don't grow things. I try to avoid responsibility wherever I can. I have enough of that in my life. I don't need, oh man, I will never forget. There was one Sunday I was preaching about something. I don't even remember what scripture it was. All I remember is that afterward, I was talking about plants and growing things. And this well-meaning woman in the church came to our house afterward and brought me this giant pot with a bag of soil and plants to help my kids grow as like a family project. And I was like, you were not listening this morning, okay? When I said that I don't grow plants, and she did it anyway, and we gave it away to my in-laws because they do grow plants, okay? And my kids, my kids tended the plants over there. It was wonderful. I didn't have to worry about it, okay? But the plant metaphor is really perfect here because as I understand it, when you've got an apple tree, you don't feed apples to an apple tree, right? I'm sure there's probably a way to do it that you can sort of like rig things up, but you don't feed strawberries to a strawberry plant to get it to grow, right? It's not the fruit that needs to come in order for the fruit to grow. Plants need sunlight, they need healthy soil, they need water, they need specific things. The food is not the same thing as the fruit that grows. Likewise, when you're trying to grow a plant, you don't withhold the things that it needs until it grows fruit. You don't stand there saying, all right, tree, give me apples, and then I will give you water and sunlight and soil. Give me the apples first, and then I will feed you. That's not how it works. You have to focus on the kinds of food that the, that the plant needs. You have to give it what it's designed for, and then the fruit grows from that naturally. We have a habit of sort of like getting impatient and trying to step in and hijack the process and figuring out a way to manufacture the fruit outside of schedule, right? Okay? And here is this picture of what the disciples are doing. They have some beautiful fruit starting to grow, but not because they were trying to grow the fruit. It was because they were focusing on the health of their relationship with God. They were focusing on being in his presence, on fellowship with each other, on the healthy teaching of the apostles and, to a, and of a life of prayer. And thankfully, the early church gets it right here. They let the signs and wonders be the fruit, the product that grows out of their healthy connection to God. Next, we're told that all those who had believed were together, and this is what their fellowship looked like, that they're spending time in each other's homes. They're spending time around one another, fellowshipping together. We're told that they had all things in common. They were selling their property and possessions and were sharing with each other. And there's a lot that can be said about this section, and one of the things that I see sometimes people wrestle with is we read this portion of Scripture, and we treat it a little bit like the moment from Jesus' life with the rich young ruler. Anybody remind, know the story I'm talking about? In Mark chapter 10, there's this moment where this young man who's very wealthy comes to Jesus, and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, and Jesus says, well, tell me about your life. What have you done? Have you kept the commandments? And he says, yes, I've kept all the commandments. I've been a good person. I followed all the rules. And Jesus says, okay, so there's one thing you're missing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And we're told that this rich young man walked away sad because he had many possessions and it was gonna be super hard for him to be obedient to the command that Jesus had given him. And sometimes I see people approach this section of scripture with the same heart and say like somehow this is some sort of command for the church to like everybody to sell all of their stuff. Folks, this is not some sort of a cult, 
okay? We are not here. In order to be part of this family, you don't have to get rid of all of your worldly possessions and sell your welcome, <laughs> okay? What we are seeing here in this moment is that the fruit growing out of them is a profound spirit of generosity, a deep care for the people around them that looks around and says, these are people that I love, that I know, whose lives I am involved in, they are involved in mine. They have a need, that need matters. And I have a way to help meet their need in this moment, and I will happily do so. This isn't some sort of like, sell your possessions and give everything away because it's the right thing to do, and that's what you have to do to belong in the kingdom. No, it's, it's the fruit of being in the kingdom and focusing on the healthy things. What naturally grows out of that is a profound sense of generosity in the hearts of God's people. That's the fruit that I want to see that we need to champion I hope I never forget, um, during COVID 2020, I got an opportunity to do a number of like online meetings and coaching sessions. Our district set up some, some resources for the pastors in our area of people that we, cl classes we could take and people we could talk to. And there was a particular theologian named Willie Jennings, and at the time, Gabe Barrero, the district supervisor, set up an opportunity for us to talk to Dr. Jennings about a book that he had been writing and just hear his heart and talk to him. And I remember a moment in the conversation, uh, some of you may know there's a pastor, a four-score pastor in the Portland area named uh, Keith Jenkins, PK, okay, who used to be from the Lane County area, all right? And he asked Dr. Jennings, because we were talking about some of this healthy fruit and how do we see some of these things in the life of the church? And he said, how do we help the church change? How do we help the church grow? How do we help the church sort of break out of some of like the rigid structure that we're stuck in? And Dr. Jennings talked about this section of scripture and he said, teach the church to share. And I remember thinking like, isn't that the thing we teach like three and four-year-olds as they're growing up? Like how is it that even as adults, as modern Americans, okay, that I'm still wrestling with the same stuff that my kids are wrestling with, that, that, that the little kids in elementary school are wrestling with? He said, teach the church to share because this attitude of generosity grows out of a heart that looks at the people around and says, you know what, you're worth it. You're worth it. You have value and your needs matter. And that's what we're seeing here in the early church, that they looked at each other and they saw the value in the people around them, the value that God had placed there. And they said, your needs matter. And so we continue. It says, continuing with one mind in the temple. And again, like I said, this is the continuation of their public worship. But it also references this sense of healthy unity, continuing with one mind with their prayer lives in the temple. And that unity is going to become a hallmark through the rest of the book of Acts and even through the letters that are written in the rest of the New Testament. They were breaking bread from house to house. And again, we see the repetition of this communal meal being shared with each other. I don't know if you can tell, but I like food. And so I'm going to, attend, I'm going to highlight the food, food, food. They ate together, ate together, you know, things like that. And then at the end it says, and they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. The church was growing, both in numbers of people as well as in the favor with the folks around them and in maturity. And this is where I'm reminded that Jesus is gone. They don't have any leadership structure at this point. They don't have a senior pastor. Some of you guys can already see where I'm going with this this morning, okay? Congratulations. They don't have, yes, the disciples are going to move into a future of leadership. They're going to grow into the pillars of the early church, right? But this is early. They're not there yet. 
They're still figuring that stuff out. They don't know the shape of things to come. They're going to grow and it's going to be commendable. But at this season, the church is really just sort of figuring it out on its own with no sort of centralized leadership structure, no senior leader. And God is still doing incredible things in their lives and in the life of the church. Amen? Folks, this church is in a season right now where there is no senior leader. God has that person, okay, man or woman, I don't know who it is, and they are coming in God's good timing, but just because that leadership structure is on pause does not mean this church is on pause. Amen? God is still here. The presence of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the life of the Lord are still here with us. He is still doing good things and inviting us into the kingdom that he has, and we can still grab onto the lessons that we're seeing here in the lives of the early church, and take an example from them. And I'm not a big fan of like looking at modern America. Sometimes it's easy to get into this and look at this and say, ah, oh, modern American church sucks. We need to deconstruct the whole thing and just copy exactly what we see here. I'm not saying that this morning, okay? What I am saying is stick with your regular life. That's fine. Hold on to the things that you have. But let's grab the examples of what the early church was doing and draw those into our lives now. Draw, take from their example and figure out how we can pull the good from what we see here. And so my encouragement this morning is focus on healthy teaching. As they did, open your ears, open your hearts. One of the blessings of this season, when I was first talking to the district about stepping in here for a season of time to help his interim pastor, one of the things that David Eddy told me was, they are surprisingly well set for preachers. And I remember thinking, oh, that's, that, that is a surprise. I didn't expect that. And he told me about the, and he gave me a list of names. And he said, there's a number of people in the church who are clearly gifted speakers. They're pretty well taken care of in that season. God has placed people here in this church who are learning how to share the word well and in health and who know how to share the word well and in health. And for those of you who are part of that group, thank you. Thank you. You are a blessing to this church, and you are helping them hang on to the things that matter during this season. But for you guys as a church, every Sunday, this life is still happening, amen? amen? And there are people here who can hear from God and who can say, this is what God has on my heart this week. This is where we're going. This is the word that God is sharing. And we can still be devoted to the healthy teaching that God is giving to us, just like the early church was. And then we also have sort of like the double-edged blessing of a sword of modern technology. Have you guys ever run into this before? There's lots of healthy teaching and lots of healthy preachers online too. But the internet is also full of a lot of crazy people who are maybe less worth listening to, okay, as like pastoral teachers. And I am not here to like cast shade or name names. I don't care about any of that. I'm just here to say, be discerning, right? Be careful. Like, yes, please, listen to some of the preachers online. There is some good stuff out there. Don't be afraid to open your ears, but at the same time, bounce it off the people around you, okay, and say, hey, this, I listened to this great message this morning, and it was about, and bounce it off the person next to you and give them a chance to say, mm, I'm not so sure. You know, can we sit down and talk about that? Who were you listening to again? What was going on? Okay, just be cautious, but it's still during the season of time, like the ability to devote yourself to healthy teaching is there. It's available to you guys as a church. That hasn't gone anywhere. Okay, And my hope, obviously, for your future is that that's going to grow. And whoever the next senior leader that comes is, is going to be a person who can help that flourish even more. But it is not absent in this time. Amen? 
The second thing that we're told is uh, that they were devoted to fellowship. And this is another piece that you guys can be focusing on right now. And if you guys are doing that already, awesome. Congratulations. Please keep going. Keep doing it. Keep spending time with each other. Invite others over to your homes. Linger after church. Pick up your kids first, but linger after church, okay? Spend time with each other. Talk to each other. Be in each other's spaces. Guys, fellowship is frequently marked by, by, by the codependent values of vulnerability and safety, okay? If you've ever had a relationship, a friendship, people that you've known where you had the freedom to be both vulnerable and safe with them, you know how powerful that combination can be. And you know how important that kind of space can be in our discipleship, our spiritual formation, and following after God and, and chasing after what he has for us. Find people, find, reach out to one another, be spending time with each other, okay? Sunday mornings, as beautiful as this time is, it is not enough. It is not enough. Step outside of this time and be reaching into and developing a relationship with the people around you. It is not an accident that I decided to preach this message when community group signups are starting next week, okay? By the way, community group signups are starting next week. If this is something that you want more of, that you feel is missing in your life, sign up for a community group, okay? I want there, right now, I want the problem over the next few weeks to be that they do not have enough leaders because so many people want to get into groups. Is that something that we can like sort of aim at and focus on? Gianna, I'm going to give you a big problem, all right? <laughs> That's my goal is to like is to upset the apple cart that way, okay? Because right now in this season, that is available, and that is a place where we can be focusing on and pouring our energy into as a church, amen? The third thing that we're told is they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Do you guys need much encouragement to eat meals with each other? No, I'm going to do it anyway, okay? Invite people over. Take people out for meals. Share time with each other. Do this all the time. And I'm not telling you, guys, find like affordable ways to do this, right? Don't go out to eat every single night. That's not what I'm saying. Invite people into your homes. Share meals together. Do potlucks. Do them COVID safely and appropriately. But have potlucks. Share meals with each other. Share space. Share time with each other. There is something powerful and beautiful that comes out of that space, that comes out of that time spent with each other. You know, cook for each other, bring food to share, bring desserts, figure out each other's food allergies and each other's food preferences. Like everybody in my friend group knows that I'm allergic to almonds and hazelnuts. Okay, that's not, I was not born that way. I just found out the fun way about five years ago. I ended up in the emergency room because I couldn't breathe. And if you've ever been there, that's a super exciting experience, okay? I carry an EpiPen around with me everywhere now. But my friend group, like, is aware of that. And they watch out for me. I've had people stop me. Like, uh, I had, there was, the, we were at a meal one time, and there was a bowl of, like, almond chips or, like, almond crackers. And I didn't know. I just thought they were wheat thins. Halfway to my mouth, and my friend's wife is, like, diving across the room to tackle me and knock it out of my hand. Hand, okay, like learn each other's preferences, each other's food allergies, figure out like what, what, what you guys love and share food together, share meals together, invite one another into that space, be in each other's lives and then talk while you're eating, share life while you are in that space together. And the final thing that we're told is that they were devoted to prayer. And I realize that the idea of prayer can be intimidating for a lot of people, and I get it because, you know, the Jewish believers at this point, they had the advantage of growing up in a whole world system that taught you how to pray from the youngest possible age. It was totally normal for them. We don't necessarily live in the same world. 
I don't know how your families go, but a lot of us grow up in a space where we're not really taught how to pray, and we just kind of have to figure it out on our own and stumble into that, okay? And if that's your story, please don't sweat it, because God gets it. He understands. He knows. And believe me when I say that God is far more dedicated to helping you learn how to pray than you are dedicated to learning how to pray. He wants to help you figure it out. He wants to draw you into that space. And prayer is something you can learn on your own. It's totally possible. But sometimes prayer is best learned from the people around you. Sometimes prayer is best learned in that communal space of learning how to do it together. Okay, because prayer can be super intimidating. You know, when we do, we do community groups at our church as well, and one of the things that I tell our community groups leader, group leaders over and over and over again is for the average person sitting in church, and this may be true for many of you, like one of your single greatest fears is being asked to pray publicly. Okay? For most people, for the average person, that's like one of the most terrifying things you can think of. So if you're here this morning and you fit into that category, don't worry, you're not alone. It's totally normal. It's totally okay to be intimidated by prayer. But in order to learn it, in order to start getting some exposure to it, sometimes the best thing you can do is just be with other people who know how to pray and listen to them and ask them questions and say, how do you, why do you pray like that? Why do you talk like that? What's your experience with prayer? And if you're a person who feels like you have a really healthy prayer life, congratulations, that's awesome. But you've got a job to do, folks. All right? Get into a community group and start sharing what you have with the people around you because there are folks in this church who need to learn what you have figured out. They need to see your example and they need to start drawing from you. Share the life that God has given you so that we can all learn how to do this together. Of the four focuses given here in Acts, which ones are easiest to do on Sunday mornings here at church? The devoted to healthy teaching one is pretty well covered here. But the other three aren't necessary. You can make them happen, right? Fellowship can happen here. Meals can happen here. Prayer can happen here. And they should, those things all should happen there. But those things don't really fully get cared for in this space, do they? Those are things that we sort of have to cultivate outside of this time, outside of this space. Okay? And that's one more reason that I want to encourage you guys. Lean hard on the community groups. Lean hard on each other in this season. As I said before, your leadership structure, the journey toward who your new senior leader is going to be, that's on pause right now, but the life of the Lord in this church is never on pause, okay? These things that we've talked about this morning, these are things that we can do now, today, that we can experience the life of the kingdom right now in this season. We don't have to wait for what's coming next to do the things that God has given us right now, amen? Amen.